What have you been up to since you sold the company back in 2005? I've been retired. <laughs> I've gotten more involved in the hobby in a more visible way through the podcast, and I've really enjoyed that. But all along, I've been doing a lot of pro bono consulting, about 5,000 pro bono consulting meetings, yeah. where I've helped organizations and leaders and people, young and old, just sometimes people get stuck or they need a perspective that their friends aren't going to tell them. And if they go to a paid consultant, the paid consultant says, I, I can help you, but it's going to take a lot of time. <laughs> so I'm a free consultant. I said, I, I, I can give you some insights and it's not going to take a lot of time and it's not going to cost you any money. Now, of course, many of the people do not listen. But when I was a for-profit consultant, some people didn't listen as well. I feel like that's a good use of my time. I've really enjoyed it. I am happy because I, I have margin in my life. I didn't have a lot of margin when I was running the company. Yeah. I had a lot of great teammates and really enjoyed what I was doing, who I was doing it with. But at the end of the day, I was pretty tired. Right. And it was a long day and long years, a lot of the price guide stuff. So not to have to do that, to know that the company's in good hands. And I just want to be an encouraging friend to my former teammates. We share similar collecting styles. I've seen you at card shows and digging through bargain bins. I do the same thing. What do you like to collect? My focus is low supply, low demand. <laughs> there's not a lot of competition yeah. because of low demand. Yeah. But there's not a lot of stuff there because it's low supply. Rich Klein understands. Rob Veras probably understands. Sure. It has to be somebody that's very familiar with a long tail. But I absolutely am. I can look through a box and I'll pick out. It's one out of 500 cards I'm interested in. Yeah. That's not good. It, if it's one out of two... It's never been that. So it's one out of 20 cards. So oh, that's interesting. But it's been sitting there for a while because it's low demand. But it's low supply, and it'll eventually sell. My selling horizon is 10 years. I'm super patient yeah. in an industry where no one else is patient, I right. think. Gosh. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up. So it'll eventually sell in 10 years. Yeah. And I'll be vindicated at buying this card for a low price and selling, not for a huge price, but for a lot more than what I paid for. Now, do you sell at that point? What's happened in our industry, which has been amazing, yeah. is in the last year we've seen on the high end, but it happens on the low end too, is you either auction the card off right. because you don't know what it's going to go for, yeah. but then you're afraid maybe it'll go too cheap, uh -huh. or you put a buy it now price on right. that's extra high. What's happened in the last year is people say, oh, I better strike. They don't even make an offer. They take it. I'm more of the buy it now guy. Here's my price that I eventually want. If I get an offer for it that's close... I would take that. I know what the value is or what it should be. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I did price guides for, for decades. <laughs> right. That's I like the long tail piece that you brought up. Long tail and very patient. Yeah. Long tail and long time. Because long tail is never going to be hot. You just have to accept that. I could immediately flip some of the things, double my money. Right. But again, it's low supply and low demand. If you're a flipper, be careful who you're flipping to. Right. Because if you're flipping to another flipper, then you're the flippy. You just got flipped. I hear that a lot. Somebody bought something at a great price, and then a month later they sell it for a lot more. But now I look back and I see, wow, it's gone up even more. So the person that bought from the original person had intention to flip it himself. So I don't want to get flipped. You talk about low supply and low demand. So oftentimes that will indicate a low price. Oftentimes, not always, but typically speaking, you can find a lot of stuff in that category of very affordable numbers. Do you ever make purchase decisions that are above four figures on cards? I have. Yeah, but I would. I, I want to sell things that people want to pay double what I think they're worth. And I want to buy stuff that I think is half or less of what it's worth. 
Yeah. What was your main reason for the exit from Beckett Media? It was probably time. I'd, I'd had a heart attack, and I, I don't think I was as fired up as I was when I started, yeah. or halfway into it. By the early 2000s, I'm being more of an executive. I had, uh, I had plenty of degrees, and so I enjoyed the challenge, but the challenges weren't about the cards anymore. So the time to sell is when somebody says, hey, we want to buy your company. And you say, well, I don't know. Make me an offer. Right. It's got to be serious. <laughs> did you scout buyers or did buyers? We had an investment banker that went out and looked. Probably at the time could have been earlier, but I, I wasn't ready. Yeah. And it wasn't about maximizing in an MBA program. You can stand back at a distance and say, okay, in hindsight, the best time to sell would have been. But we're not in hindsight. In real time, I thought about it. Finally, I thought this is time. So I, I enlisted some expert help. I had fabulous attorneys. Before my corporate career, I thought, well, it'd be awkward to work with somebody that was your friend. But then over time, you realize, wow, if I'm going to sell my company, do I want an attorney that's billing me that I don't know at all? Or do I want attorneys where I know their wives, I know their kids, and top of their game? The latter, for sure. The latter. All day long. But I never thought about that. Yeah. I thought, well, I'll just make it dispassionate and get the best person. Now, if you're looking for a surgeon, maybe that's the case. <laughs> right. Okay. But a doctor that's going to take into account your history, I was very well served. And I had buddies that had sold companies that were advising me, and I'd, I'd wish I'd listened more. Did you think the valuation was going to increase, or did it even matter at that point that the valuation was enough for you to exit the company? Well, I knew the value would be enough. It wasn't about the money. I wanted to make sure my teammates were taken care of, and for the most part, they were. When a new owner comes in, they're the boss. They get to do what they want to do. So it just was time. If I'd have waited a little bit or done it a little bit sooner, I, I don't know that it appreciably would have mattered. I, I had a good relationship as, with the new CEO that the acquirers brought in, and uh, there's still a whole bunch of guys in, there in the company, mostly the guys in the grading right. that were there when I was there. They've worked very hard. If you were to re-enter the leadership team today with Beckett Media, what would be one of the things you'd want to tackle first? To keep it simple, I wouldn't. I'm a pro bono consultant. Mm -hmm. So I would say, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. But though I've spent thousands of hours in the last many years helping companies and individuals with more specific problems, yeah. either articulated or, or not so well articulated. I would not accept the job but I'd be happy to go over there for an afternoon, and I have. And if they've got a problem, I'm happy to bat it around. That's what I love doing. But at the end of the day, I'm going home, and I'm going to sleep <laughs> with my wife. Like These other guys are going to wake up the next morning and show up to work. So I'm really comfortable being a pro bono consultant. I'm happy to help. Yeah. But since I'm pro bono, I'm not going to help every Monday. I'm not going to help every other Monday. I'm going to help when they have a problem. I'm happy to, to discuss it with them and give them a dispassionate but expert perspective. I like that. And they can accept it. I gave them some great advice last summer, and they said, oh, that's fantastic, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> so, okay, well, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I think it's a great idea. I'm not going to say what it was, but it, I think it was a great idea. And somebody will do it, and I'd love for them to be the first ones to do it. I like that. If you were to have the opportunity to travel back in time to when you managed the company, what's one thing you would have done differently? I was too slow to double down on grading. Okay. I was the holdup. Yeah. We got into grading after PSA had gotten quite a head start. We could have done it a year or two before. The other thing I didn't get into e-commerce as fast. Again, I was the holdup there. I had brilliant people working for me who said, this is the next thing. I said, I know it is, but it's cannibalizing what we're doing. I just think I was too conservative in hindsight now. In hindsight, hindsight's 2020, right? That's the thing. My hindsight's 2010. <laughs> I've got Ted Williams' eyes when it comes to hindsight. I can see really clearly when it's in the rearview mirror. What's one piece of advice you wish you had before the first issue of Beckett Media was published in November 1984? 
I think the advice I gave myself is this is going to work. Okay. Because it didn't look like it was going to work immediately. It was like, I know this will work. It's fun being a big fish in a small pond. The problem is when the pond gets bigger and you're still the same size fish, then the fish has to make adjustments because the other fish get bigger. And so the pond got bigger and I, I had so many talented people uh, working on our team that we were able to keep up with the increase in the pond. And now the pond is turned into a, a, a kind of an ocean. Yeah. And I just feel for the Beckett Media price guide guys because it's so hard to keep up. So my advice to myself, if I had known that 12 years later I was going to have a heart attack, I still think I, I would have gone forward, especially since I survived. I barely survived the heart attack, but I did. Unfortunately, that's the price people pay sometimes. You don't know that in advance, but if you're going to be your own boss, the buck stops here. And no matter how many teammates you've got and how great the teammates are, in fact, the better the teammates are, the more they take care of anything except the really big, messy stuff. The only time somebody knocks on your door, it's because there's a big problem. They don't come to you with the easy stuff. They've already figured that out. But again, that's what I do in my pro bono consulting. But it's their problem. The monkey never gets on my back. I am in their corner for an hour and a half. At the end of that meeting, I shake hands or bump fists or elbows and say, let me know how it goes. But I, I don't take on the burden. Mostly, it's getting somebody started in the right direction. The short form is strategic encouragement. Right. It's not just, hey, Patrick, you're doing a great job. Just keep up what you're doing. It's, Patrick, th the way you do that is really working. Now, this other thing, I'm not so sure about that. Have you ever thought about this? But you've got what it takes. But sometimes people have what it takes, and they've got a bad business model. And that happens in our hobby a lot. All the time, yeah, sure. I think in any category, right? Any category.